KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Friday, February 2nd. How San Diegans are coping with the recent stormy weather. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Last week's flooding exposed the long-standing problems with the city of San Diego's stormwater system, and voters could soon decide whether they want to put more money toward fixing it. San Diego City Council President Sean Elo Rivera this week said that he wants to place a tax measure on the November ballot to fund stormwater infrastructure and disaster recovery. Our revenues dedicated to stormwater are just one-tenth of what other California cities collect. This all means that we are relying on an underfunded 20th century stormwater system to meet 21st century challenges and protect lives and property, and it's getting worse every year. The city would need an additional $1.6 billion over the next five years to pay for all the necessary repairs and preventative maintenance to its stormwater infrastructure. If you're a CalFresh recipient and lost food during the storm because of flooding or a power outage, you can request a replacement of your benefits until February 21st. CalFresh is a program for low-income families and individuals that meet certain income guidelines. To submit a request, you can call the county's Access Customer Service Center at 866-262-9881 or visit a local family resource center. Ballots for the March 5th presidential primary election will be sent to registered voters starting tomorrow, so make sure to keep an eye out for yours over the coming week. Once you receive your ballot and complete it, you can return it by mailing it back. Or if you prefer to vote in person, you can go to the registrar's office starting on Monday. You will have more ballot drop-off options available early next week. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Heavy rain fell yesterday on southeast San Diego and still recovering from last week's flooding. Reporter Katie Heisen found resilience at a Lincoln Park shelter. Rain flooded Jackie Joe Lopez's home and her Logan Heights flower shop last week, devastating both. She sought refuge at the Red Cross shelter at Lincoln High School. I'm trying to keep my spirits high and trying to see um, how resilient and how we're going to get out of this situation, all of us together. Lopez says she has no flood insurance. Valentine's Day, her biggest business day of the year, is in two weeks. She hasn't been able to fill orders. She brought what flowers remained, red roses and lilies, to share with everyone at the shelter, where she says a community is forming. There, she made friends with Tanika Darden, who says she was homeless when the storm hit. I'm very grateful for um, the Red Cross because we didn't have anything. We didn't have anywhere to go in. Darden pulls up her raincoat hood over Lopez's head. 
She says she's determined to help her save her business. I'm going to put my little card somewhere and we're going to sell flowers for Valentine's Day. We're going to pull through. Yeah. We're going to make it. Mm-hmm. Darden nods in encouragement as they wait for a bus to relocate them to the city's new shelter at Balboa Park. Katie Heisen, KPBS News. Environment reporter Eric Anderson was in Southcrest yesterday. He says city work crews did a lot there to prepare for the additional rain. Rain filled Joyous Creek, but the water was hardly the raging torrent that flooded Greg Montoya's home on Beta Street a week ago. The four-foot-deep flood destroyed everything in his house, but he says the channel is flowing a lot faster. And they've cleaned a whole lot. They've cleaned uh, the, the settlement out in front of the outlets of the st- street drains. I feel pretty good. I, I think we're not, we're not going to get flooded because this is what should have been done. If it would have been done, it, it, it wouldn't, we wouldn't have had what happened on the 22nd. The flooding trashed more than a dozen homes along Beta Street. City crews were parked at the end of the cul-de-sac, poised to take action if floodwaters threaten property again. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. North County reporter Jacob Ayer was in Encinitas yesterday. He spoke to residents and business owners impacted by last week's storm. Heidi Ledger is the owner of Threadspun. Her store is closed because of flood damage from last week. She was nervous about yesterday's rain and what's ahead. I'm definitely worried about it, but it's also like, what are we going to do? I mean, I don't know. I, I, the city doesn't really seem to have a comprehensive plan. The Lucadia 101 Main Street Association says at least 10 businesses in the area were damaged by flooding in last week's storm. The National Weather Service says there's a chance of more rain today, and with that, a flood watch remains in effect until 10 this morning throughout the county. Temperatures in the inland and coastal areas are expected to be in the high 50s. In the deserts, it'll be in the low 60s. And in the mountains, it'll be cold with temperatures in the high 30s. It will also be windy with gusts reaching up to 30 miles per hour in some areas. And by the beach, a high surf advisory is in effect until 6 tomorrow morning. Forecasters say waves could reach up to 10 feet. It's San Diego Museum Month, and this year, more than 60 museums and cultural institutions are participating. The event is organized by the San Diego Museum Council. The council's executive director, Bob Lehman, is joining me on the podcast today to talk about what the month entails, plus more. Bob, welcome to the San Diego News Now podcast. Thanks, Debbie. Happy to be here. Can you tell us about some of the lesser-known museums and cultural institutions that are participating in Museum Month? Yeah, absolutely. It's a big part of why we have Museum Month is to uh, expose people to the variety of museums we have all over San Diego County, from the California Surf Museum up in Oceanside to the Tijuana Estuary along the border. Uh, we have a lot of different types of museums. We have a, a brain observatory downtown San Diego where you can see real brains. And uh, yeah, a nautical history museum that just started last year at Liberty Station. Uh, we've got the Barona uh, Museum out of the reservation. So it's our only Indian museum. So there's a lot to offer. We've got uh, a lot of brand new ones that have just joined this year. So there's a lot of variety for everybody. I'm curious, what museums are your personal favorites? 
You know, one of my favorites right now is one of our brand new ones uh, because it's new to me, uh, even though I've lived here in San Diego since 1984. Uh, it's the Deer Park Winery and Auto Museum in Escondido. And I went there not knowing what to expect, but it, it's over a hundred vintage convertibles that are just beautiful. Uh, and so you get to go through this and see a lot of other Americana. And then at the end, there's a winery there. So you can enjoy some great local uh, San Diego wines. And if an organization is participating in Museum Month, what does that mean? All the museums are offering a half price admission off their full price uh, normal tickets. So uh, you can you can call ahead and see something. You'll find a lot of museums are already free that you never knew about. So that's a great thing you'll find, too, as you go around and travel through the museums. So about how much does it cost to visit a museum this month? We know the price varies a lot. Uh, you know, some of our big museums like the USS Midway, so normally it would be uh, $34 for an adult. So $17, kids would be $11 instead of $22. So it's a pretty big savings. If you've got a big family, it's a great opportunity to get out there and see multiple museums. And that's one of the things we encourage is if you get into an area of town where there's one museum, there's likely other museums nearby. So you can go ahead and hit more than one in one day. And let's talk about passes. Where can people get a pass? Well, we've got 85 locations right now all over San Diego County. So any library you can think of uh, in the city or in the county has the passes. We've also got them out at a couple of universities, uh, got them at San Diego City College. Uh, we're having at the law library downtown. So any library you want to go to. Plus, we've made it super easy where you can go on at San Diego Museum Council.org and download the pass to your phone. Uh, and you can, it's got 15 pages of descriptions of some of the museums, different restrictions that some of them may have, uh, and you can find the times and days they're open. And what is the goal of Museum Month? I mean, why has the Museum Council been putting this on for the past 35 years? It's about making museums more accessible. Uh, so families can, you know, it's more affordable for families. Uh, it's about bringing tourists to uh, San Diego County. Uh, it's a great opportunity for our museums to show off all the beautiful, wonderful, fun things they have. Uh, and it gets people to, like I said before, learn about some of the museums they've never heard of. What do you hope the community takes away from participating in Museum Month? That San Diego is an arts destination. That it's a great place to live. It's a great place to come. We've added uh, even museums from Tijuana now uh, to the Museum Month. So it's just a great opportunity to explore our culture, and the history of San Diego. You mentioned there are some new museums participating this year that haven't in the past. Can you tell us about some of those? Well, I mentioned Deer Park Winery and Auto Museum, but we've also got the California Wolf Center in Julian, which is a great experience. And we've got the Wander Museum downtown uh, for the very first time, which is just a lot of fun. And for the very first time, and this is pretty huge, we've got Legoland California Resort and Sea Life Aquarium uh, joined this year. And that's really exciting. One of the good things about that is the ticket you buy now uh, is good all the way through uh, December 31st. Nice. Is there a time of year when museums typically expect more visitors based on previous years? I'm wondering if Museum Month tends to be one of the busiest months of the year. Museum Month's partly uh, designed to help us get through the winter, uh, you know, because the kids are back in school and there's a little less tourism here in San Diego. So this is a big push to fill the museums in February. And as soon as spring hits uh, in March, the museums are gonna start packing up and that'll carry us all the way through September. Uh, so this is just to kind of kick off the spring for the museums. 
So does the museum council have any other upcoming projects our listeners should know about? You know, we do a lot of projects throughout the year. The museum month is one of our biggest. In um, the first 18 days of May, we do a program called the Big Exchange, where if you're a member of one museum, you get to go to 40 other museums for free during that 18 days, which is a, a lot of fun. And then back in October, we we bring out Kids Free San Diego, where all the kids get to go to the museums all over the county for free. I've been speaking with the San Diego Museum Council Executive Director, Bob Lehman. Thank you, Bob, for all this information on Museum Month, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Debbie. We can't wait to see everybody this month. San Diego Opera opens its first grand opera of the season tonight with a bold new production of Mozart's Don Giovanni. Arts reporter Beth Accomando takes us behind the scenes to see how this bad boy of opera is being brought to life. Mozart's Don Giovanni is based on the notorious womanizer Don Juan, which led director Kyle Lang to start thinking about new ways to present the bad boy of opera. It really came up how Giovanni is such a rock star. We think of him as such a rock star in the repertoire. So that kind of stemmed into, well, what if we really think about rock concert lighting? And dressing Giovanni in a leather jacket while taking away other things you expect to find in a grand opera, says David Bennett, general director of San Diego Opera. We have these black curtains that sort of hide the lighting instruments. We're actually taking those away, so you'll see the lighting instruments. We have haze, a form of vapor, that will be at the top of the theater, so we'll see these beautiful columns of light coming through in a way that's very arresting. So the architecture that we see on stage is actually made of light and projections and costumes. Instead of fixed massive sets, that means the action can be more fluid and scene changes can be faster with lighting and projection redefining the space. But it's also cheaper. It does sort of start off as a way to deal with cost, but it also is a new way to embrace the way we produce opera. Another practical decision that yields artistic perks is placing the orchestra on stage rather than in a pit hidden from the audience. This is actually how opera started, was orchestra on stage. That way, audiences can clearly see conductor Yves Abel and the musicians of San Diego Symphony, says Lang. There's an energy that comes when you see the workings of what happens around a production, you know, and seeing the orchestra on stage kind of allows you to see the organs of the mechanism working together. Rather than just the skin, you really get a more visceral experience by seeing not just the singers working, but really seeing the conductor working. The conductor and the musicians become characters helping to drive the story. The lack of period trappings and the use of contemporary costumes then help the audience connect to the centuries-old story, says Lang. This story, as old as it is, the psychology of it, we're still like this today. It's about the human condition. So don't be surprised to see Don Giovanni doing lines of cocaine or a projection displaying the Tinder app. I wanted to kind of show that like there's many pieces in the repertoire that people think of being like, oh, that's going to be like Renaissance period clothing and like that the story lives in that world. 
This story does not just live in that world. This story is timeless. But some things are changing for attendees, says Bennett. But we looked at our existing audience from last year and we realized we could accommodate them in two dates, two performances. And because the cost of producing opera is so expensive right now, sort of the, the fiscally responsible thing to do is to not overproduce expensive opera. We should sort of look at what our demand is and deal with supply and demand. So that's really where this decision of reducing our number of performances came from. So instead of having four performances partially full, Don Giovanni is looking at two almost sold-out performances in the 2,800-seat Civic Theater this weekend. So people are coming. And so it gives me hope that I think in future seasons we'll be able to add performances back as we regain our audiences. And Don Giovanni is something clearly people are wanting to see. You can enjoy this fresh take on an opera classic with performances of Don Giovanni on Friday night and then Sunday afternoon. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. Also taking the stage this weekend, original works written by young San Diego playwrights. Education reporter M.G. Perez has more on the annual contest that brings plays from the page to the stage. Shut it, you imbeciles! <laughs> oh, yeah. That's an imitation of Jolly the Parrot, performed by a young playwright who created the character in an original work called The Spirit Treasure. It's one of the winning entries in this year's San Diego Playwrights Project Young Writers Festival. The winning writers are high school students, like 14-year-old Isabella Vallejo, who co-wrote Messy Revenge about a vindictive crow. The plays are performed by professional actors. They do such a good job of like bringing the character to life and doing it almost exactly how we kind of practiced it and envisioned it. The series of plays and a musical are directed by professional artist Candace Crystal. Theater doesn't survive without them. These kids are investing in a future and I'm like, I won't have a job if they're not interested in it. The public performance of the Young Playwright shows happens at 7.30 Saturday night on stage at the Croc Center in Rolando Park. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. This podcast is produced by Emmeline Mohebi and edited by Brooke Ruth. We'd like to thank KPBS producer Lara McCaffrey for helping the podcast team this week. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'll be on vacation next week. My colleague Eric Anderson will be filling in for me on the podcast. Join him on Monday to start the week with the day's top stories. I'm Tebby Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.